0: Amen, amen. You can be seated. During this time, we have uh, our kids. If you have kids that are the, between the age group of four through six or seven through nine, we have two teaching times for them uh, by age group. And so, uh, as you, as they begin to go to the back, their teachers will meet them in the back. Uh, Miss Carrie and Brandon there uh, are in the back. And then uh, Allison, I believe, is in the, in the back as well. Uh, you can go with them and they'll take your kids around. You can pick them up back there at the end of the service. Uh, but we want to pray for them as we usually do in our hearts as they go. Our heart is that we don't just provide child care or that we provide a setting that makes your discipleship more or less distracted. Uh, our goal is that our kids are discipled from a very early age. So we've begun a, a, uh, a new curriculum about uh, about four weeks ago. That is uh, the Gospel Project, which takes us through uh, the gospel on a three-year track, a whole Bible that walks them through from start to finish, gives them a firm foundation for what it means to follow after Jesus. And so, so I want to thank those who serve in the back. And if you have a copy of God's Word this morning, I'd love for you to join me beginning in the 21st chapter of Luke. We are in the midst of this seven-day series, which is kind of a series in a series as we've been walking through Luke. And this teaching from Jesus, this will be his final teaching before he begins the journey into his betrayal, before he begins the journey into his trial and his eventual death just days after he would deliver the text that we are going to read this morning. Our quest through Luke has been quite a journey, a journey from a simplistic beginning of the life of our Savior to the point where in just a matter of a few days, Jesus Christ would complete the mission that he set out to do. As I have prepared for this week, my prayer is for your heart to experience the heart of God this morning. When I stand up here, I literally preach as if, attempt attempt to preach with intensity that it might be the last time that I get to do this. Because who knows, every Sunday could be the last. Uh, We're not promised, as we'll see this morning, another day. So my prayer and heart for you this morning is that you have a connection with God like you have never experienced before. To know, as I shared last week, that only God can change your heart. And we want a clear space for him to move through his word To do just that. And so my prayer as we have journeyed through this book is that hopefully you have seen glimpses of the heart of the king like never before. Now, as we have walked through the details of his life and his ministry, the calling he extends to follow him, the kingdom foreshadowing that he constantly preached from the very first sermon when he said, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. I hope you have seen about his character and that you have learned more about the one in which we follow or have a calling to follow. And through this understanding of who he is, I hope that you have been strengthened in your understanding of who you are in him. That who he is determines everything about who you are in him. So I pray that your heart has been challenged and changed to see yourself in light of Jesus's redemptive work on your behalf. You know, one of the most frightening things that you and I will face that has the tendency to control our thoughts and our emotions and our energy and cause us to worry, cause anxiety like none other is the uncertainty of the future. We begin at a very early age with considering the future and what lies in front of us. You go through school and if you're a young person here today you go through such earth-shattering Concerns like who you might go to prom with, or if you might make the varsity football team, and those are just so earth shattering and important. And I struggled in both of those departments, so I was overly concerned. I did well at neither. <laughs> and once you wade through these critical fears, you instantly begin to concern yourself with what happens after high school. Now what? You know, now that I'm grown up and I don't know it all, what do I need to do now? Where am I going to go to college? What sorority or fraternity might I join? Will I make good enough grades to graduate? Will I make new friends? What will I major in? For me, I was absolutely certain of my career path. I knew that I was going to completely crush the undergrad courses that I was in because I had never had to study before and so things were not going to have to change and that I would go to some type of physical therapy school, work in athletics maybe, maybe sports medicine. And that plan for my future lasted one semester and a dropped biology class and a C in chemistry determined that God had different plans for my life and majoring in something else. Turns out you do have to actually study. But not only academics, but relationally. You spend a lot of your college years wondering if you will find that special someone To spend the rest of your life with for me college came and went and that significant other wasn't even on my radar yet but it wasn't because the radar was not turned up to high intensity (laughs) and searching so what did I do I went back to college right When you graduate and you don't know what you're going to do, and you have a degree and nobody that you're about to be married to, you just dive back into the prospect pool, both academically and socially. (laughs) It's an expensive pool to swim in, but one that is we often get back into. So then, for me, two degrees down, and I still have not met my wife yet. Thank the Lord she, she came along and we worry about that we worry about the future holds in our relationships and when we finish school we concern ourselves with the job hunt finding a career that we can do well in and if god blesses us with marriage we have kids and then you learn what worrying is all about you know you think you have concerns now have kids you know, my worries were multiplied times two when the doctor informs us that we're going from zero people dependent on me to two who are going to be completely reliant on us for absolutely everything. We have twin daughters. So I went from Carmen and I to two mouths that needed feeding and completely relied on me for everything, everything. And you you know, you get you walk out of the hospital like two days after you have your kids and I didn't really think we got a good training course or anything. They just kind of, say good luck and I was like wait what you, you're not going home with us to the nurse who's standing there like ready to get us out and I'm thinking you know we you're telling me we actually have permission to take this creatures creatures for me home with us these humans and y'all are going to trust us to take care of them like I need a I need a semester in this And you know, what are we supposed to, to do with without you with us well, then we move from one uncertainty to the next in a quest to find out what the future holds. And spiritually speaking, no matter if you are here this morning as a Christian or a believer, maybe in another religion, maybe even an agnostic, you don't believe much in anything right now, we walk through this life in an attempt to figure out what happens in the future, both in this life and after we leave this life. So no matter if you, what you believe, we are looking for... What is next, even though we may not have a belief system that defines that? You know, some world religions are in a search for an inner peace, a nirvana, a constant, or a a break from this chronic state of deaths and rebirths. Uh, For for other religions, it's a a desire to be approved by the one in which is worshipped. But for Christians... We rest and trust in the completed work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. Whereupon death, we enter into the eternal presence of God or eternal separation from him. Where at his second coming, we will enter into the new heaven and the new earth where we will spend eternity in his presence. Where all of life will resonate into the worship of the king. But even with the uncertainty of faith in Jesus or with the certainty of faith rather in Jesus and the hope of the afterlife, it is so easy even for followers of Jesus to find our attention being primarily on the here and now, what's taking place now instead of the future hope and promise that we have been given. And it's very easy for us to doubt, to fear. And to often debate what we anticipate the afterlife will be like according to Scripture. And so this morning, Jesus is going to spend his final teaching. Final teaching before the process begins of his, where he's deceived by one of his own. He's going to spend the final days of his teachings where he, where, where he, before he's rushed into this series of events to the cross by prophesying concerning future events. Jesus would teach about the future in quite possibly the most the most controversial chapters in the new testament quite possibly some of the most debated because not only would jesus prophesy about future events that would happen uh, shortly after his uh, he leaves but jesus would in essence foreshadow what the end of the world would be like and this passage of scripture has been the subject of more religious and theological debates than maybe any other text in all the gospels so the passage we're looking at in chapter 21 is known as the Olivet Discourse, is which Jesus is from the Mount of Olives doing a final teaching, and it's rich in its meaning. And so as we dig into it this morning, I preface all this to saying we must approach a text with such theological diversity of opinions with such a great amount of absolute humility and a willingness to admit that we don't have all of the answers, to be okay with focusing on what we are certain about from this text And content with knowing that the ways of God are higher and you and I may not be able to unpack it completely this morning. Because of a lack of humility in approaching this text, many people have gone so far to try and glean exact information from this text to exactly predict the date of Christ's return. In 1988, An end times predictor came out with a book called 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Could Be in 1988. It didn't happen, obviously. (laughs) But I'm curious to read it. I'm really more curious to read it to know how hard he had to stretch to come up with 88 reasons to match the year 1988. It's a great year, by the way. Uh, Harold, Harold Camping. Predicted the end of the world to be September 6th of 1994, September 29th of 94, October the 2nd of 94, March 31st of 95, May 21st of 2011, and October 21st of 2011. Persistent guy. I give him that. Very persistent. If you remember in 2012, we encountered the Mayan apocalypse, where the earth would be destroyed by an asteroid. But hear me this morning. It's not just some of the crazies out there that have debated this topic. But if you, have, if you interviewed solid born-again believers on this very subject, you would get varying views on theological issues surrounding the end times of when the tribulation will happen. When is the thousand-year reign or the millennium of Jesus going to be? Is revelation literal or symbolic? Literal rapture or no, no rapture? I mean, you have, from sound theological people, you have a wide variety of interpretations. Now, I don't want to downplay these teachings Because they're in God's word and relevant, important to us who are followers, if we're going to take his word holistically and learn from it completely. But I don't want to miss the forest for the trees this morning. I don't want us to see the shadows, but miss the form. And so what I believe is the heart of this passage is a question. Now, I know it has a lot of great details, but for me, it boils down to a question And it's a question that resonates from the hills of Jerusalem to our ears and our hearts this morning. And it is this question, no matter what the answers are to these very detailed questions, are you ready and are you prepared for whatever happens for the remainder of your life and for eternity? Do you have a certainty of where your life will be eternally? Now just these words for me cause vivid memories of Growing up in a rural town in our state with red faced preachers screaming about the congregation, to the congregation about the flames of hell and the torments that await those that go there. And though hell and heaven are very real destinations, this is actually to me a comforting passage. This is a comforting passage that is intended to bring peace and certainty for believers, not because we will know all the answers but because we rest in the arms of the merciful and gracious and loving creator of the universe. And in that place, we are at rest. And so through these seven days, we have considered, Jesus has made his entry into Jerusalem in his first public display as king. He has cleansed the temple. He has taken down the religious establishment that ran things in the Jewish culture. And then he has exalted this poor widow who had nothing to give Jesus of significance, but yet she gave him everything. And then Jesus would leave the temple for good. He would leave the temple that was the center point of not only the city, but of the religious culture. He would leave the temple to take on the final challenge that had been his target since breaking into the landscape of our world. The cross awaited him. And so Jesus, sitting on the Mount of Olives, with his disciples, a detail that we get from Matthew and Mark about this same passage. He provides his disciples with a farewell prophecy. So let's read together, beginning with the verse 5. So while some were speaking of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, Jesus said, as for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another. That will not be thrown down. Hmm. So go with me just a minute. This would be a picturesque scene. The same mountain Jesus had come down in royalty proclaiming himself as king. He had now gone back to. And sitting with his disciples in view of the glorious temple in, the, in, the, in, in their, in their sight. He would consider these this teaching. The temple was considered one of the great... Royal, uh, wonders of the Roman world. From a distance of the Mount of Olives, the temple would have looked like, looked like a mountain of gold. I mean, you've got to remember, we, this, this temple had nine massive exterior gates that provided entry into the temple courts. Tons of its, its uh, exterior was plated with gold and silver and jewels. And if you remember from our description, this thing was just packed full of all kinds of, 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 of gleam on the outside. I mean, it is a sight. So, when we read this text, what Jesus is about to say, you need to realize that these stones he is about to describe, some of these stones used to construct the temple would have been 40, foot, 40 feet long and would have weighed over 200,000 pounds each, okay? We're not talking about a brick here. We're talking about a temple that is made of some massive things that would look like it would have stayed and been permanent forever. And so, Jesus. His disciples bring up the temple, most likely in an attempt to acknowledge the beauty of it before Jesus. I mean, I don't know. I'm kind of picturing a little small talk here. Man, look at that temple as they're journeying. Look how glorious that thing is sitting off in the distance full of all these gold jewels. And Jesus says, guys, that thing is coming down. Those stones, 200,000 pound stones, those things will be toppled. And Jesus' words would come tragically true in in 70 AD. Just like 40 years after this temple prophecy, after the temple had been back under construction, Rome would overtake Jerusalem and would completely destroy it. Rome would come down, just as Jesus had just told his disciples, he would come down on them with such force that they say you can literally still see markings on the outer wall to this day where Rome, the remnants of the Roman invasion of the people of Jerusalem. But let's keep reading what Jesus says. Because he just told him it's coming down, verse 7. And so they asked him, teacher, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? And he said... See that you are not led astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am he, and the time is at hand, but do not go after them. And when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be afraid, for these things must first take place, but the end will not be at once. Then he said to them, nation is going to rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There's going to be great earthquakes and in various places, famines and pestilences. And there will be terrors and great signs from heaven, but before all this, they uh, will lay their hands on you and persecute you. They will deliver you up to the synagogues and to the prisons. You'll be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity. Notice that. He tells them, you're going to have this happen. This is going to be your opportunity, your moment to bear witness. Your lives. Now, we know from the history who he's speaking to, this is an eternal gaining of their life. Verse 20. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let those who are inside the city depart, and let not those who are out in the country enter it. For these are the days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. Alas! For women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days. So it's going to be difficult traveling and leaving. and There are going to be great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations. And Jerusalem, this great Jerusalem that you are looking at in the distance, will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Now Jesus shifts, verse 25. What a deep text. What a continuous topic that he, un- he just unloads. I mean, it's loaded up with deep, deep theological truths. What are some things we gain from this passage? Again, I want to focus on what we do know to be certain from this passage. And what we do know is happening and what we do know is being prophesied here. And there's one first thing that I want you to see that you can rest in. Is that God is the authority over all things. So how, do we, how are we calmed in the midst of uncertainty? How do we face the uncertainty of future both in this life, as we're going to see in just a minute, that God is the authority over this life, as we see from one prophecy. And secondly, we can trust him through eternity, as we're going to see through a second prophecy, that he's the authority over eternity. So we rest in knowing that God is the authority over all things. So to understand that, we've got to see that actually in this passage, Jesus is making two prophecies here about two different events. First prophecy that he he predicts is the prophecy of the destruction of Jerusalem. So there's much debate and I could, I could, could see both, both arguments. There's much debate about what a lot of the text in between, if it's meaning, the, does it relate to the prophecy of the destruction of Jerusalem? Does it relate to the prophecy of the, the return of Jesus? Are they interrelated? Do they speak to both? Does one speak to the other? And, 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 and honestly, you could, you could, there's, there's, there's an argument on both ways of how to fill in the gaps. But what we do know is that there are two prophecies being predicted here, the first being the prophecy of the destruction of Jerusalem, which comes to be. So picture this with me. The disciples have left the temple with Jesus, and they've headed to the Mount of Olives. They're looking back over the city. They're talking about the majesty of the temple, the majestic temple. And Jesus says, this temple will be destroyed. And so the disciples, probably confused and concerned about the future, say, Jesus, when is it going to happen? And then from verse 8 to verse 24, Jesus tells them what they could expect before the the coming of the destruction of the temple. So he gives them prophecy to let them know that this is what's going to happen before the temple is destroyed. He tells them that uh, what what are signs that you need to be aware of and what are not. He warns them to not be deceived but to be prepared. He says don't follow false teachers that will lead you astray. He says trust in me. He said there's going to be wars and catastrophes. But he says don't lose heart. Don't fear for these things have to happen. But tucked in verse 20. Tucked in verse 20 is a very significant verse for us to understand about the prophecy. Jesus tells them that when you see Jerusalem, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then you will know that the desolation has come near. Matthew refers to this same desolation in verse 15 of chapter 24 when he refers to it as the abomination of desolation. And this would have been reference to what the prophet Daniel had prophesied to them. The prophet Daniel, standing in the holy place, he says, "Then let those in Judea flee to the mountains." So, what is he talking about here? To understand this, you have to look deeper, which we don't have time to this morning. But you have to look deep into the prophecy that Daniel made hundreds of years before Daniel nine twenty seven and eleven thirty one and twelve eleven that Daniel prophesies that a foreign ruler is going to come into the temple and profane it. So this is a reference when he says, you'll know the desolation has come. Jesus is saying, you will know that the, I'm prophesying that you will know that when that happens, that Daniel's prophecy has come true. Because in that, there will be people who will profane the temple. And this happened. This is what happened. Rome would surround the city. They would defile The temple. They would destroy the city. They would murder Jewish men and women just horrifically. And Jesus says, when you see them surround the city, you flee. Because the prophecy that Daniel made about the temple and how it would be destroyed is coming true. So there's a, he talks about the desolation, the abomination of desolation from the book of Daniel. So we see that he's, he's prophesying through those verses of the coming destruction of the temple. And it happens. It happens just like Jesus says. But there's a second thing. And that is a second prophecy that helps us see that not only is Jesus prophesying, so he has the authority over the here and now. He prophesied a literal destruction of a temple on earth in the here and now. But we know that Jesus has prophecy for the eternity, or has power for the eternity, because the second prophecy is the prophecy of the return of Jesus. So we see in verses 25 through 33 the prophecy of the coming of the king. Obviously, the imagery of the powers of heaven being shaken is about something much greater than the destruction of a temple. Jesus says, When you see these things happen, you will know that I am coming. Now, the return of Christ will be a glorious event, but where he came the first time to save, he will come to judge. In Revelations 19, 11 through 16, it says this, I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. We see that consistently, consistently referring to Jesus. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he will strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Jesus will return. He will return. This is a real future event so why is this important that we connect these two and how does this speak to the authority of God well this is important because you know that you can trust in the words of God you can trust in his authority he spoke about the destruction of Jerusalem and it happened and with the same the very next breath he spoke about his return that will come one day and it will happen Look at what Jesus says to affirm this truth in verse 33. He says, heaven and earth is going to pass away, but my words will not pass away. You can trust in the authority of God in your life, both now and for your future. You can rest in the peace of Christ. Psalm 115, 2 through 3 says, why should the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens and he does all that he pleases. God is the author of life. He's the creator of all things. He's the sustainer of all things. He is never contradictory of himself, never goes back on a promise, always fulfills his word. So why is this important? Because we can trust that whatever God says, we can believe. Now, this is going to be important when we get into our text because we'll see, as we dig further, we'll see that the prophecy of Jesus that he makes about the destruction of Jerusalem, as we've said, it happens we're going to see is in a moment we look into uh, the, the prophecy of his second coming, that it will happen. It can be trusted. But there's a second thing. Not only is God the authority over all things, but Jesus the beauty of this passage is that Jesus is the hope through all things. That's the beauty of the coming king, is that we hope in Jesus. This passage should not lead us to fear in the unknown, but to the hope of eternity. The king will return. Does Luke write to hide in fear when you see these things? No, look what he says here. He says, lift up your heads. When you hear of all these things that could strike fear in you, that could cause anxiety in you, he doesn't say hide and retreat. He says, lift up your heads. Your redemption is here. What I have promised and prophesied is coming. It's here. Lift up your heads. He's coming. Hebrews 12, one through 2. After a long passage of talking about the hall of fame of the faith, the scriptures say, since we are sound, surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses to the life of faith, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus turning our eyes to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Ephesians 2, we, 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 we talked about that you were once separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, but through Jesus we have been brought near by the blood of Christ. As we face face the uncertainty of the future in this life and in the one to come, you can hope and trust in who Jesus says that he is and in what Jesus said that he did. He can be trusted. We can have all the debates we want to about the future and future events. But when all fades away, when all of our theories fade away and it happens as it happens, One question will remain that we must answer. Is I prepared to meet Jesus? There's a third thing. And that is that we see through this. The Holy Spirit is the power to sustain us through all things. When Jesus tells his disciples that that time is coming, does he say, you better be studied up and ready, boys? You better know what to say. He says, you don't have to worry about that. He said, I'm going to give you the words to say. I'm going to empower you with what you were to do at that time. Jesus not only sustains us, but the Holy Spirit, and not, Jesus not only gives us that hope, but the Holy Spirit sustains us. Now, this is important. How do we remain hopeful in the midst of uncertain situations? The Holy Spirit's direction. Acts 1.8, Jesus tells his disciples that you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes to you. Romans 15.13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. How are we hopeful in the midst of uncertain situations? The power of the Holy Spirit is what gives us the ability to abound in hope. Romans eight eleven. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. We weathered the storms of doubt, and we weathered the storms of uncertainty and the unknown through the power of God that is at work in us. And in closing, sitting here in two thousand and fifteen, far removed from Jerusalem in the temple. Far removed from the prophecy of Jesus, from the events of that day, far removed from 70 AD. Why is this passage relevant for your life today? How do we apply this text? Well, I'm glad you asked. In closing, there are a couple of foundational truths that I want you to grasp and apply these to your life. As you walk through the unknown, and we all do. When I speak of the authority of Christ, it's not to downplay the seriousness and the the intentionality that you have to have in concern for the future. But what I'm saying is that the sovereignty and power of God is greater than the uncertainties of your life. So what can we glean from this to help us in the unknown And what is to come, both in this life and for eternity when Jesus returns. And the first thing we have to do as followers of Jesus is to be watchful and prepared. Be watchful and prepared. I believe this passage of Scripture speaks clearly to the disciples that sat in front of Jesus Christ. But I think it speaks clearly to the disciples of Jesus in the 21st century. Jesus tells his disciples in all generations that we will face trials. We will be encountered with deceptive schemes, tribulations, temptations, persecutions, and we must be watchful and prepared. We prepare for false teachings. He says, don't let just anybody lead you away. Now, this won't only come through clear false teachers, but we must be watchful and prepared for those who have an appearance of Jesus as those he prophesied would, but who speak a message that is different from the message that Jesus spoke, which many do. Paul would tell Timothy in his second letter to him, he said, for the time is coming. So this is Paul writing to Timothy saying, look, Jesus told us it was coming. Let me reiterate to you, the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching." He doesn't say they're gonna, there's going to be wackos that come in and always and, and teach crazy stuff that you can just disregard. He says, look, the time is coming where the people that you are around will not, in, will not stick with sound teaching. But what will they do? They will have itching ears and so they are going to accumulate for themselves teachers who teach the things that suit their passions. He's going they're going to teach things. They're going to turn away from listening to sound truth. And he says, they're going to wander off into myths. Now, this is not, this kind of deception comes from within. Jesus says, be watchful and prepared. Trust my word, surround yourselves with teachers who teach the word of God to you. He said, because there's going to come a time where people are going to turn away from this. You and I must be watchful and prepared For false teaching. We must be watchful and prepared for persecution. Jesus says in the 15th book of John that if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. He's almost saying that's a good thing if you experience hate towards you in this life because they hated me, so you must be looking something like me. You must be saying something like I would have said. He says be prepared and watchful. He says be prepared and watchful for temptations. Cling closely to the Father, Beware, be prepared, be watchful for temptations. Paul would tell Timothy, his right-hand man, he would say, look, Timothy, in the midst of all of this, he would tell him that the thing you have to do is you have to watch over your life and your doctrine closely. He says, when you're being watchful and prepared, you be watchful and prepared by watching over your life, watching over your teaching, your belief system, guard it. Watch it because in the end, deception will come. So you and I must find ourselves as we walk in an ever changing world with ever changing values and ever changing belief systems. We must be watchful and we must be prepared. But there's a second thing in conclusion. It's three, by the way. Second, be faithful in the temporary. Be prepared and watchful, be faithful in the temporary. We have a role while we are riding this ball around the sun. Scriptures say that we are to not just think that we all are going to have forever. We don't know how long we're going to live. In fact, Scripture says, who are you to say that tomorrow you're going to do this or that? You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Life's a vapor. So we have to be faithful in this time that we do Have so what are we to do? We're to to be faithful to what God has called the church to do. In Matthew, he describes this exact passage of Scripture, and he includes a a verse that is just overpowering to me that I've quoted many times. In verse fourteen, as Jesus is uh, teaching, as Matthew is describing his view of the teachings of Jesus through this exact discourse, he says these words. He says that the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed to all nations. As a testimony to all people. And he says, then all that I'm speaking to you will happen. His church will accomplish the mission. Or let me maybe say it another way. Because we sometimes attempt to go extra biblical on how we go about the mission. But the mission of God will accomplish. Be accomplished and it will be accomplished through His church. Jesus says that's how the mission will be accomplished. I could, I could redeem the world any way I want to, but I've chosen to do it through my bride. And so, you and I, while we are in between times, not knowing what will happen and how all the events will take place, we must be faithful in the temporary. What are you doing with your life? If you're a follower of Jesus, Empowered by the Holy Spirit, what are you doing with your life? And I know so many of you are serving so well, so I ask this rhetorically. How, how are you helping to advance the kingdom to fulfill the mission of the church in this temporary time that we have? So you be trusting. You be faithful and trust God through this temporary. But finally, be hopeful in the eternal. Be hopeful in the eternal. This passage is for sure about the return of Christ. And church, Jesus will return. His disciples, even during this time, longed for the coming. Hopeful that it was going to come during their lifetime. And Jesus says through this passage, long for the coming of Jesus. Long for my coming. I'm going to come. And when you see these events happening, lift up your face for your redemption is coming. Jesus came the first time in humility to provide salvation. He will come the sixth, second time in glory to execute judgment. He came the first time as a simple baby boy born to commoners, and he will come back the next time riding on the clouds. At the end of the temporary life, it will be the beginning of the new heaven and the new earth. And we will, as the writer of Revelation says, we will behold that the dwelling place of God is with man. And he's going to dwell with us. And they we will be his people. And God himself will be with us as our God. And he is going to wipe away every tear from your eyes. Death is going to be no more. There's not going to be any more mourning or crying or pain for all of those former things. Everything else that we have gone through is going to pass Away, And he says, this is your hope, that the one that is seated on the throne says, behold, I am making all things new. You can trust and be hopeful in the eternal because we have a God who can be completely trusted. So this morning, as we walk and navigate this life, between times. Jesus has, this is not something he sprung on them. Jesus has set up through his entire ministry the contrast of the kingdom that is and the kingdom that will come. He constantly served tangibly here on this earth meeting real needs, healing people in this life and he foreshadows and says, there's gonna come a healing one day where this sickness that I'm healing, it will not be no more. These tears that I'm stopping As I have raised people back to life, they're stopping temporarily, but they will stop eternally. Jesus has done that all throughout his ministry. And now he tells us this morning, as he told his disciples, be ready, be faithful, be trusting, be hopeful. My prayer for us this morning, as we walk between times, that we as the body of Christ... In a time of complete uncertainty in a culture that we walk in, we'll not lose heart. We will not be afraid. We will not be overpowered. We will not feel like hope is lost because the king is on the throne. and He says, I am making all things new. So as we end, may that be our prayer this morning. Will you join me in prayer?